Blog Talk Radio. Archangels, ghosts, and Bigfoot, oh my. It's just another night for Supernatural Girls. Real stories, real answers to life's biggest supernatural mysteries. And now, for another exciting interview with paranormal experts from this world and others. Here's your host, paranormal researcher Patricia Baker, on the one, the only, Supernatural Girls. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker. And unfortunately, tonight it is Supernatural Girl because PK is not feeling so well. She was doing great, and she was all excited to be back on the show with us. And then this week she had a setback. So she sends her love to everybody, and hopefully we'll be back next week. With the numbers, let us know what we can expect because so much is crazy out there. And it always helps to hear from PK to get a reading on what's coming next. So we have great guests tonight. Well, I have a great guest tonight for everybody. It's Ross Allison. I'm going to bring him on in just a few minutes. He is a bona fide ghost hunter, paranormal investigator. He's the founder of A-Ghost, Advanced Ghost Hunters of Seattle, Tacoma. And he's with us to talk about all the places he's been, because he's been all over the world. We're going to get to this. We are going to get to this in just a minute. But first, I just wanted to tell you that Russia needs your help. And here's why they need your help. Because there's a haunted Russian museum. And they're asking for your help identifying mysterious lights that have been appearing on their security camera. So... There, some people are saying it's plasmoid, it flies like a plasmoid, acts like a plasmoid, but nobody's sure about why these things are showing up in the museum. So now listen, the story, the whole story, is on our Facebook page. Make sure you go there, give us a like and follow, follow us on Twitter, all that good stuff. But take a look at this, because you might be able to solve the mystery they really want some help, and they're reaching out. So make sure you go over and read the story, find out all about it, and if you have any hits on what this is, make sure you contact the museum. They're waiting for an answer, so that'll be fun to do. I take a good long look at that. So our guest for tonight, he is the just the ultimate ghost hunter. He's been also lecturing for power performers since 2004, He's spoken to thousands of students at hundreds of colleges and universities throughout the U.S. on his ghost hunting adventures. He even teaches a class based on his book, Ghostology 101, Becoming a Ghost Hunter at the University of Washington and Tacoma Community College. Now, his lectures have also taken him to Canada and Scotland. He's got a new trip coming up, and he may be talking about that. It's the first time he's been let out since the lockdown. But he has worked with some of the biggest names in the field, Jason and Grant of Ghost Hunters fame. He has also investigated some of the scariest and most haunted sites known to man, the Stanley Hotel, Eastern State Prison, 
Amityville House, Alcatraz Prison, Roman Catacombs, the ancient Rams Inn, and even the original location of the Exorcist case. So let's bring him on the show. Ross, welcome to Supernatural Girls. Well, thanks for you for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. I mean, my goodness, what an exciting life to lead. How in the world did you get into all of this? Oh, I blame my mother. I have a mother <laughs> that loves ghost stories. Yeah, so I would tell people, you can blame your parents for something. But uh, my mother just loves ghost stories, so I grew up listening to these stories and were just very fascinated with them. I think it was just my curiosity to know if there was any truth behind them that got me involved in the field. What a nice way to be introduced so you have such a positive experience. That's great. Now, did you have any ghosts in your home growing up? No, unfortunately. I was, <laughs> uh, and that was another thing, too, because when I started ghost hunting, um, it wasn't the big fad that it is today. You know, there weren't all these television shows. And when I started a ghost, we were one out of 100 nationally. And now easily each state could easily have 100 groups plus. So when I got involved in the field and started working with, you know, other people's that preceded me, um, most of these people had had those experiences. They grew up in haunted places and, you know, and had these encounters. And me, I was kind of like the odd man out because I hadn't. I was just right. curious to see if there was any truth behind this. So now, you know, as the tables have turned, you see that there's more people that are more curious about it that haven't had the experiences than those who have actually had the experiences. Exactly, exactly. So when you actually uh, put on your ghost hunting hat, how old were you? Oh, I was in my early teens. I, I remember I was at a library, our local library, and I found a Hans Holzer book on psychic photography and how to, you know, record EVPs. So as soon as I got a hold of that book, I was in a local cemetery with a you know cassette recorder trying to capture EVPs. So that was one of the earliest ghost hunting experiences that I have. <laughs> and I was probably about, I think, 14, 15 years old. Oh, my goodness. Well, you embraced yeah. it all very young, and that gives you a leg up on all of this stuff because you've been doing it for so long. Like you said, when you first started, you were one – out of just so many, and now now there's just hundreds of groups out there and television shows and other media. So you're a real standout because you did this young. So tell me, what was your first successful experience when you actually captured something or sensed something, saw something? Well, my first uh, physical encounter was when my team was spending the night at Alcatraz. Uh, this was back in the day when you could do it. We were one of the first groups to actually uh, be able to spend the night at Alcatraz and do this. Uh, so it was a very rare experience. And so when we did this, and this was, gosh, about oh, maybe about 15 years ago, maybe uh, more, 15, 16 years ago, mm-hmm. we were um, – they took us out to the island. I remember they took us through the t- underground tunnels. Uh, these are the tunnels that they would use to bring the prisoners when they got on the island to their cells and go through the whole process. So we went through those tunnels that aren't open to the public. Um, then they took us to a bunch of other buildings 
but now they have opened up a few of these buildings to the public. If you've actually been uh, to Alcatraz Island recently, it was kind of cool. I actually went back there a few years ago and got to see them during the daylight. Um, but, you know, just to be able to explore a lot of these places that weren't open to the public at the time, you know, the, uh, you know, the hospital wing, um, the morgue. And the morgue was where I had my first uh, physical encounter. Now, um, the morgue um, is connected to a tunnel that goes down underground because uh, in this underground compartment is where they used to keep the gunpowder because Alcatraz actually started out as a military base. Uh, oh, before it became okay. the state penitentiary and, and the, the state park that it is today. And so I was the first to venture through this area. And I, of course, you know, I'm, you know, taking pictures of the room and it's got, you know, dirt floor, brick walls, brick ceiling. It's an arch, you know, brick ceiling. And I start to make my way across the room because now I want to get a picture of the entrance of the room and I want to get the widest angle. Now, at this time, my members are starting to follow me in, so they're starting to filter into the room, too. Mm -hmm. And as I'm backing up to take the widest angle shot that I could, one of the members put their hand on my shoulder and physically stopped me because obviously I was going to, you know, step on them as I was backing into the corner. So I turned around to apologize to the member that I had backed into the corner, and there was nobody there. Ooh. But you yeah, felt the I hand, and it was just as real as anybody's hand. I was expecting to see a member behind me because I felt the weight of a hand, the pressure of the fingers as it grabbed my shoulder, and it physically stopped me because I was stepping backwards. That's and, of amazing. course, nobody there. Wow. Now, the people that yeah. were behind you, did anybody see anything? No, there wasn't anybody behind me at the time. That's the thing. So there was absolutely nobody that was coming up to you that would have seen something putting its no, hand every, up. No, everybody was in front of me. I just assumed oh, somebody gosh. was behind me, and everybody was in front of me. <gasps> wow, that's yeah. a great experience. And it sounds like you really enjoyed that. It didn't scare you or anything. No, because a lot of times people don't understand that when you have these encounters, sometimes they're so quick. A lot of times you're just thinking to yourself, what was that? What the hell just happened? So you're, you're kind of questioning yourself if you really experienced that or not. So right. that tends to happen more often than, you know, the, the fear factor of like, oh, my God, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, another great example, the first time out of all the years that I, I have been doing this, and a lot of people always ask me this, you know, have I ever seen a ghost? And, and that was one of the things that I, I still kind of say that I, I really haven't yet but mm -hmm. I had an encounter that I'd like to believe was. And we were investigating uh, Shakers, and this is up in uh, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And um, we were there uh, for the full weekend, um, and it was really cool. I was running some experience. Now, Shakers used to be a brothel. And uh, so I actually had one of my – uh, guest investigators um, stay up in the top floor, which used to be the old brothel. And so uh, he was actually staying up there by himself. We had a bunch of cameras on him. We just wanted to monitor the seclusion of somebody up in that area. And to my surprise, he actually was getting a little uncomfortable doing this. And so he says, you know, Ross, can I please just go ahead and sleep in the car? I don't know if I can do this all night. <laughs> 
And, wow. and I was like, come on, buddy. I really need you to do this. You know, we got the cameras on you. I'll be right downstairs. So if anything happens, I can run up the stairs, you know, and assist you. Right. And so I finally, you know, convinced him to go ahead, you know, and stay the night in the room by himself. Now, I'm downstairs, and I'm sleeping in, on the couch. I got um, David Weatherly. I don't know if you're familiar with David yes, Weatherly. Yes, I know but, David. Uh, yes. Yes. So he was, you know, in the room uh, next to me. Now, that night I was having a hard time um, sleeping because every time I'd start to doze off, there would be this loud noise in the room, and it would wake me up. Because I'm one of those people, I'm not afraid to sleep in a haunted room, but I'm also a very light sleeper when I'm staying in a haunted room because I don't want to miss it. Right. So whenever there's an interesting noise, I'm like, what was that? You know, got my hand on the camera, <laughs> ready to go. Yeah. So that whole night, I kept hearing those noises, so it kept me up all night. As I'm, you know, just sitting there, uh, actually laying on the couch, um, just trying to get back to sleep, I hear, and his name was Michael, I hear him coming down the stairs and I'm thinking, Oh, great. He's going to come in and he's going to tell me he can't do it anymore. And he wants to go out to the car. Mm -hmm. So I decide I'm not going to acknowledge him. I'm just going to look at my camera, pretend he's not there. (laughs) And the, the way the staircase went is he goes down the staircase. You got to come back around to go down the next flight of stairs because I'm on the second floor. So the, the room that I'm staying in is actually, you know, like I said, it has a couch. It's a little living room set up, and it's got a big window in the doorway. So I can see what's going on in the hallway. So through my preferable vision, I, I, I see him come around the corner of the staircase and walk past the door, and then I hear him go down the next flight of steps. Okay. So I'm thinking, okay, you know. I better check on him just to make sure, you know, he's okay. Uh, he yeah. may have had, you know, something might have happened. He may be freaked out, so I better check on him. So I get up, I go downstairs, and when I get to the bottom stairs, the, the door to leave, I realize that the door is locked on the inside. Oh, no. Now, I didn't so really think didn't much leave. of it because I had, yeah. Well, I didn't think much of it because I hadn't been sleeping, so it really didn't register right away. Yeah. You know, like, oh, wait, how could he have locked the door if he went out the door? You know, that type of exactly. thing. Exactly. But I went yes. ahead and I locked it. I unlocked the door. I go outside. I go to his car and he's not there. So I go back inside. I go all the way up to the third floor and there he is in the bed. And I was like, oh, I thought you left. And he's like, no. I said, I heard you go down the stairs. And he's like, oh, I thought that was you. I was like, so no. So he heard it too. All right. He heard it too. So the <laughs> one time I had the opportunity to see an apparition, I didn't look oh, because I assumed it was Michael <laughs> trying to leave. Oh, how I was funny. so mad at myself. I know. Oh, I bet. That's awful, Ross. That's awful. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's too bad, but at least you had confirmation that he heard the same thing you did. Yes. So that's so, great. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just the wow. life of a ghost hunter. It's always those missed opportunities. Oh, gosh, I know it. But now, you know, so many years later, after when you began as a teenager, there's all kinds of new equipment out there. What do you use? 
You know, I really try to focus on having more of a scientific approach. Um, I, I, unfortunately, I do find that there's a lot of devices out there that can be too suggestive. Um, Now, granted, there's no device that's going to tell you you have a ghost in the room. Um, So what we do is we take devices that help us read the atmosphere and let us tell us if there's changes in the atmosphere. You know, like, you know, traditionally you got EMF detectors. You know, we use ion detectors. We use thermal cameras. Um, We use, you know, temperature readings. Um, I love cameras, you know, cameras are great. I'm really trying to push people into, you know, you know, photos are so limited on information. And now that, you know, the technology becomes cheaper and cheaper and more advanced, you know, we really should be focusing more on 360 recordings. Now, granted, there's not a lot of 360 that does infrared. um, But the nice thing about 360 cameras is you never have those missed opportunities again because the camera's pointed in the wrong direction. You know, you're seeing a full 360 of the room. So I really feel that that should be something that should be um, more used on ghost hunts. Mm -hmm. Uh, We really Mm -hmm. need to focus more on video rather than just photography because, again, photography is so limited. You know, audio is great. EVPs are amazing. Um, so I always, you know, love to, you know, break out the, the recorder and I even love to go old school. You know, I've always encouraged people, you know, don't forget our roots where we started. You know, when I started ghost hunting, we didn't have digital cameras and digital recorders. Yeah. You know, we were still using, you know, the, the cassettes and film, you know, that was the thing. And I really feel that, um, we may be missing out on some possible phenomena because when you go to analog and you go to, you know, chemical processing film, there may be phenomena that's more easily captured with that processing rather than with the digital processing. You know, you so bring up a very important point because I think uh, some people actually get better results with a real camera other, and something other than their iPhone or Android. So people are so used to doing videos and taking pictures with your phone, but... I have seen many more results when you actually use a camera. Have you? Does, does it work right. like that for oh, you, yeah, too? Oh, yeah, no. I, I find that, you know, unfortunately, especially when you're going, you know, talking about film, uh, it is a little more limited because it's not easily accessible and it's more cost-effective, you know, because you have to – it's more costly when you have to, you know, have your film processed and finding places to process your film is a little, you know, harder as well. So yes, it's it becoming, is. you know – uh, harder to 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 maintain that level of investigation. Um, so I, I do find that um, you know trying to get people to go back to that. I, I say at least you know give it a try when you're you're doing a place that you find is very very active. You don't have to do film on every investigation. Um, you don't have to you know bring out a cassette you know to try for EVPs on every investigation. But do you know have them available if the place is pretty active. See if there is a difference when you're recording from digital to analog. And um, I, I think you may be surprised. Yeah, I agree you know, with one you. Of the most, you know, one of the most famous cases that people don't really know about uh, because this was the late 80s when this uh, became a big thing um, is the Ghostwriter case. You know, that's a case where... Um, the messages were appearing on Polaroid film, you know, when they'd ask a question into the air 
they take a picture with their, you know, Polaroid camera, and when the picture came out and developed, the answer would be written on the, the picture itself. Oh, I love that. And That's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was, you know, a very uh, well-known case back in the day. Um, but again, you know, a lot of people aren't aware of things like that um, because we have moved to the digital era. And I think, you know, I, I always encourage people, don't forget about our roots. You know, EVPs were captured originally on reel-to-reel recorders. Exactly. You know, the first ghost photos were on film. So yes. who's yes. to say we're not missing out on certain phenomena that can only be captured with those elements? I think we are missing out, especially when it comes to Polaroid film, because I'm reminded of Robin Foy's group, and they there was a movie done about them called The Afterlife Investigations. I don't know if you had a chance to see that. But Robin's group of mediums had amazing results, with, first with a Polaroid camera, and then they had Polaroid involved. And Polaroid came, and they placed a sealed carton of film on the middle of the table, and... They had pictures come out from wow. that. The thing was sealed. And Robin's group had the most amazing photographs that showed up on that film, even though it hadn't even been in the camera. So I think there's something right. about that yeah. Polaroid film, you know, and you talk about, why. well, you know, we could be missing things. Yeah, I think we are. And I don't know well, the situation with Polaroid film that like it used to be. This was years ago, again, as you mentioned. But it would be great to be able to use those, uh, you know, unopened boxes of film in situations like you're involved in. Right. Well, what you're talking about is psychography, and that was the old, uh, the ability that uh, psychics could produce images on film when it had not been exposed to anything yet. Um, so, yeah, and, and the, the thing is, is if, if psychics were able to do it, who's to say a ghost couldn't do it either? Exactly. So, yeah, I, I, exactly. I definitely believe that uh, we're missing out on that. Yeah, well, we've got to get some Polaroid film here. That's all there is to it. <laughs> start working with it. I think I just think it's amazing what groups that have used that have come up with. They had pictures in Robin's group of strange landscapes, other planets. I mean, things that nobody was thinking of. They just appeared on the film. Mm-hmm. So, uh, But I'm very intrigued by the the what was it you call it the ghost wires is that what it was that case the psychography oh the ghost no. writer the case was called ghost, ghost writer ghost writer okay okay i'm yeah. glad you corrected that thank you yeah Not that to be is confused with the series great. the children's series back in the day but oh, uh yeah ghost was, writer. and they called it the ghost writer <laughs> yes because he would oh, actually look that one again, up yeah it's it's a phenomenal case um it was in california and you can still find some of the, the evidence that they collected. In fact, sightings, if anybody remembers that old show. I do. Um, did one of their episodes at that place. And they even proved the phenomena because they stood there and did an experiment where they asked a question, took a picture. The picture comes out, and they hold the picture up to the camera the whole time. So you see this whole process. And sure enough, when the picture was uh, came through, there was writing in the picture, just proving that they, it couldn't have been, you know, fake. Yeah, anything else. Did they take a picture just of the air around them? I mean, did they point it at anything yeah. in particular? Just the yeah, basically what you could do was just stand in the center of the room, ask a question to the spirit, take a picture, 
and then your answer would be in that photo. Great. And now how many people were in that group? Um, well, this wasn't a group. This was just a uh, couple of gentlemen that lived in the house. Okay. Um, yeah, so this was just, just their personal experiences. They had sightings come out. They did their thing. I believe they've had a couple um, groups come out at the time, but again, but again, remember, ghost hunting was not a big thing back there. So back then, so you didn't have a lot of groups to choose from. Um, but uh, I believe there was a few other investigations, but I do know that the activity had stopped. And what's interesting is they had actually asked, and I forget what the question was, but the spirit did reply, this will end now. And Ooh. it never happened again. Oh, what a shame. Did they offend the spirit yeah. and try to get too far into the future? Sometimes I've heard I, that I don't happen. Know. So, but I think, you know, it's, if that could happen for them, who's to say it couldn't happen anywhere else? Exactly. And we don't have that old technology available to us, so we can miss out on that. And again, you know, ghost hunting can be a very expensive hobby for a lot of people. And so a lot of people don't want to put the extra money or don't have the extra money to buy film and, you know, maintain that or even uh, cassettes. So Yeah, I know. And, and everybody who knows that people who have written books or been on television, they all think, oh, he must be really wealthy from all this. But that's really not the way it goes. Oh. No. <laughs> no, I can validate that. I've got my eighth book just came out. I don't make a living off of writing books or even making appearances. The most most time, and I've been on a lot of shows, on the ghost hunting shows, you really don't, you know, make anything. Sometimes they may cover your expenses, but most cases, you know, they don't pay you to be on these shows. No, I know they you know, unless don't. You, yes. Unless you've got your own television show, there's you don't make money doing this. I make my money. You know, granted, I'm the only full-time ghost hunter in the Northwest. I make my money by doing lectures or writing my books and doing tours. That's it. Yeah. So you work hard. You certainly I work do. hard. Yes. So, Ross, tell me a little bit about your area, Seattle, Tacoma. What's it like out there? Is it, like, filled with ghosts? I mean, it sounds like you've got great places to take your, your tourists that want to see this. Oh, yeah. No, it's very green, just so you know. That's why we're called the Emerald City. Um, but uh, Seattle is nice. It really is. Um, you're, you are surrounded by the mountains. But uh, I was very surprised when I started investigating the Northwest because, you know, you, you look at places like, you know, the East Coast, New York, or even overseas like London, you know, where you have a lot of history. And I was always envious of, the, of those locations, wishing I had lived in those locations because you had access to a lot of history and historic buildings. And then here I am in the Northwest, which is the youngest part of the country. And oh, I was always envious of those places. But to my surprise, um, you know, we have our fair share of ghosts as well. You know, we have our fair share of tragedies, um, of, of history as well. And I did find, you know, when I started my tours in Pioneer Square, which is where Seattle first started um, in 1851, you, you basically have an area that I was very uh, successful in starting tours and doing lots of investigations. Um, because, you know, to be honest with you, ghosts are everywhere. 
Um, in fact, yeah, the place doesn't are. necessarily need to be old to be haunted. So Now, in your area, what is your favorite ghost story? Oh, there's so many. You know, <laughs> and that's funny, too, because so many people always ask me, you know, being that I've traveled all over the world and I've been to some of the most haunted places that you can imagine, um, they always ask me, you know, what is the most haunted place you've ever been to? And it's really hard for me to label the most haunted place. Um, for me, where I've had most of my experiences have been here at home in the Northwest mm-hmm. uh, because I have access to a lot of these places multiple times. Right. And people don't tend to understand that with ghost hunting, it's all about being in the right place at the right time. You know, yeah. you could spend a weekend at Chillingham Castle, which is, you know, labeled as the most haunted castle in the U.K., and you may never have an experience. But, you know, right. for me, right. being that I have access to a lot of places here in Seattle that I've, you know, investigated a number of times, I can validate a lot of these, you know, encounters and, and walk away with more experiences. So for me, you know, places like that tend to be, I would like to think, are more haunted, but it's just because I have more opportunities of, of having these encounters. I can't say that Chillingham Castle's not haunted just because I didn't have an experience there that weekend, but I did right, have an experience right. there that weekend. I'm just using that as an example. Yeah, I understand, but, um, yes. <laughs> it's a great <laughs> I'm place. Sure you did have an experience there. Um, but um, I was going to say, um, for me, uh, one of my favorite places is like the USS Turner Joy, which is a retired Navy destroyer. Um, I, I've been there. In fact, uh, spooked in Seattle, uh, my ghost tour business, actually, we would every month, you know, before COVID hit, uh, we would do uh, public ghost hunts. And, you know, oh, so cool. being that I've had access to this place every month, I would be there, um, you know, spending the weekends there you'd have more opportunities to have these experiences. And there are times, you know, I, I would get there early uh, to unlock the ship, turn off the alarm, and I would hear somebody walking behind me on the ship. You know, and this is a big metal ship. Yeah. So you can yeah. easily hear somebody walking around on the ship. Oh, and my goodness. And I would have those experiences, you know, lights turning on and off on me while I'm, you know, going around, you know, making sure everything's okay. You know, mm-hmm. hearing voices. At the, and and there's nobody there, or hearing whistling, or capturing some of the most EV, most amazing EVPs, you know, during your investigation. So now, why you know, do you think a, that ship place. carries uh, so many ghosts? Well, there was a tragic event that did happen on the ship where they had a misfire, and um, when so what happens is um, when they have a misfire, they have certain protocols that they have to follow. And a lot of it is a hose down the barrel of the gun to cool off the barrel of the gun uh, before they reload it. Because what they do is they put a small charge in there. Because if there's anything stuck in the barrel of the gun, that small charge will push it out. Well, unfortunately, when they were going through uh, the the steps, the barrel of the gun was not cool enough when they put the small charge in. And it blew up and it killed uh, two men in the gun mount. And the third one, who was just getting ready to enter the gun mount, was thrown out, and he later died of his injuries. So, granted, you know, there wasn't a lot of deaths on the ship that had been recorded, but that was one of the tragic events. Now, I can't say that those are the men that haunt the ship. You know, we can't assume those things. 
Um, But you also have to understand that when you're talking about the military life, for a lot of these, you know, soldiers, um, for men and women, this becomes their life 24-7. Um, maybe they don't have, you know, yeah, they don't, maybe they don't have family to go back to. Um, so this is their life and they choose to, you know, protect our country. And even after death, um, they may still hang around these bases or, you know, these ships that they, they served on. Yes, that makes sense. And if there was a trauma involved in their death, then that makes even more sense. So, Mm -hmm. gosh. Now, so you've moved on from Seattle, even though you're there still. You've traveled, as you said, traveled the world. And tell us about the Exorcist case. You got to go to the original location of that. What did you find? Uh, That's actually one of my favorite stories. Everybody loves to hear this story. Oh, goody. So um, (laughs) as you stated in the beginning, I lecture at colleges and universities, and I was asked to St. Louis University um, to do my Ghostology 101. And when I do my lecture, I'll also take the students on a ghost hunt. So I was invited to St. Louis University. And at the time, I really didn't put two to two together, realizing that this is the location where the true exorcist case took place. Um, The church that was involved in that case, actually their church is right in the heart of the campus. Um, So, yeah. So when we did our investigation for the students, um, they took me to the building that was once owned by the church. Now, you know, the church has sold it to the campus. And so we go through this building and it's right next to the church that was involved in this. So, we go through the building, and there was nothing odd about the building. It was just a nice old building. You know, I've been in a lot of old buildings. So we go around through all the, you know, the different floors, and finally we get to the fourth floor. And I was surprised because the fourth floor was completely run down and abandoned. Hmm. You know, graffiti everywhere, holes oh, all my. over the place. And, and I was like, you know, my, my, my thoughts exactly. I was like, oh, you know, this is kind of odd, you know, especially yeah. how huge it was up there. I would think a lot, I would think, you know, the campus would utilize the space, you know, for storage or, you know, for sure. dorm rooms, whatever. Yeah. Um, but they've completely shut it down. And they told me that they have shut it down because they've had too many problems on the fourth floor. And when they say problems, they're kind of referring to paranormal problems. Oh. So, yeah. So I'm kind of, you know, going through all the different rooms and everything, and they tell me, oh, this is a room where apparently a nun had committed suicide because at one time the nuns did live on the fourth floor of this building, and they taught Sunday school on the fourth floor as well. And you could see the old classrooms with the small desks and everything. That's still all up there. Oh, my goodness. And so we go through all the different rooms, and um, we walk into this one room, And right when I walked into the room, I heard this crunch underneath my feet. And I looked down, and I realized, oh, I'd stepped on a dead bird. So I kind of kicked the bird over to the side because I didn't want anybody else to step on it. And when I shined my light through the rest of the room, I was surprised to see that the room was just filled with dozens and dozens of dead birds. Oh, gross. And I had already been through most of the fourth. Yeah, I I had been through most of the fourth floor. So I had not seen any dead animals except in this one room now. So this is kind of odd. 
And I'm standing in the center of the room waiting for the students to come in, and none of the students will come in. They're all standing in the doorway. And I'm just like, oh, okay, this is kind of odd. You know, what's going on? And they proceed to tell me that this is the room that the boy had stayed in. Now, if you're not familiar with the case, the story is that when they brought the boy, uh, it was actually a little boy that they named Robbie to protect his identity, not a little girl named Linda Blair, just so you know. Right. So when they brought him to the campus, they believed that they could not perform a full exorcism on the boy in the church because this could possibly kill the boy. So story has it they had moved him to various secret locations performing multiple exorcisms on the boy before they finally uh, performed the final exorcism at the local hospital. So I realized that I'm standing in this room with all these dead birds realizing that this is where one of the exorcisms had been performed. Wow. So creep factor has gone up a bit. All right. Yeah. Now, I give the students some of the basic equipment so they can assist me on the ghost hunt. And so they start to come in the room, and we're in this room for less than five minutes when all of a sudden all the equipment starts to go off at the exact same time. We're talking the temperature started to drop in the room. And we can feel the room getting colder and colder, and I'm expecting to see my breath anytime soon. Yeah. EMF detectors going off like crazy, and we can't figure out what's causing the M- EMF readings. The compass is spinning around and around and around, and it will not stop. And I'm wow. like, holy crap. This is really There's happening. There's something there. Yeah. So I got to document this, you know, just to prove that this is really happening. Now, a picture is not going to tell you that this is really happening. So luckily, my camera shoots an infrared video. Quickly switch my camera over to video. I start filming everything that's going on. And, uh, oh, one other thing that I forgot to point out when I talked about the dead birds in the room. Yeah. Uh-huh. All the doors had been removed on the fourth floor. Oh. Security had moved, removed all the doors just so that they didn't have to worry about students sneaking around up there. Okay. So the birds had access to the whole fourth floor. It's yeah. odd that they choose this one room to die in. Yeah, okay. and how were they even getting in? Does anybody know? They don't know how they got into the building, but the fact that they all chose to die in this one room was the odd thing. So, anyways, sorry. Now, getting back to, you know, as I said, compass is spinning around, temperature starting to drop, EMF detectors going off like crazy. I want to document this, so I switch my camera to video, and I start filming everything that's going on. I'm filming, you know, the equipment. I'm filming the students. Just trying to do my best to prove that we are really experiencing this. Yeah. And so, you know, we're, we're showing that this is really happening. It starts to slow down a little bit, and I figure, okay, before it completely stops, I want to try for some EVP. So I start asking questions into the room. Now, I get to the question, can you tell me whose room this is? There's about 12 seconds of silence. And then all of a sudden I start to hear crying to the left of me. And I turn and I realize that a couple of the female students have started to cry because they're so terrified being in this room. So I realize, okay, they're uncomfortable. I have to admit, I'm a little uncomfortable too because I don't have my normal ghost hunting team. This is a bunch of college students following me around. Yeah. So 
I'm thinking, okay, you know, for safety reasons, let's go ahead and wrap it up. And uh, hopefully I'll come back and do my own little investigation. Well, I didn't get a chance to go back that night. But after I finished my lecture tour, I got home and I started reviewing all the evidence that I collected at all these campuses. And I got to the video where it asked, can you tell me whose room this is? And right after I asked that question, now I'm going to edit this because I don't want to offend anybody, but it basically says, F you, it's mine. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And was the voice, could you tell, because I know some of the EVPs are a bit amorphous, could you tell if it was a male or female voice? It was a, definitely a very gruff male voice. Wow. Wow, what a story. That's a great one, Ross. It's, yeah, yeah, they so. started crying. It's like, oh, my God. But maybe not. Maybe they saved you from uh, being treated badly by the person who gave you that message or the person. It sounds like, you know, a lot of this stuff with the exorcist case, and I know you're super familiar with all the details of it. It sounds very demonic. What is your opinion on that? Well, I, I try not to bring religion into the field of paranormal investigations because mm-hmm. – if you're going to bring religion into it, you're already being biased in your research. Mm-hmm. Um, I, if you're going to be psych, uh, scientific in your research, you, you can't be biased. As I've always stated, you have to go with what you know and not with what you think you know. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I do believe that there is negative energy out there. Um, but just because it's negative, I'm not one of those that's going to label it d- demonic. You know, we've all have experienced very negative people in our lives. And when they pass away, who's to say, you know, they can't be an ass in the afterlife as well. So right. I really do try to just ba- basically focus on the phenomena itself and not necessarily name it, uh, label it demonic. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Um, because some of these, things, these events, the spirits that come through, they seem more powerful than others. And this is certainly yeah. one where they were super powerful, whoever they or he or she was. Um, it, it seemed like it was a, an extremely powerful force that took right. over this little boy. Actually, one of the Jesuits that, um, was at Boston College, which is my old alma mater here, talked about this case he was somehow involved in it and he said if you saw what we saw when we were on the train with this little boy you would run Mm -hmm. all the way back to new york Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he was dead serious i don't know what he saw he didn't want to talk about it no it is definitely a very interesting case and if you're going to talk about you know as negative as things could get that's probably one of them you know, like yeah. I said, there there are extremely negative energies out there. I'm not going to deny that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when you when you get into religion, there's all different religions out there that have many different beliefs and have many different labels for that negativity that we can experience. And, again, like I said, you, you just can't be, um, you know, truly scientific if you're going to be biased and bring that into your belief system or how you investigate the paranormal. You really do have to be unbiased and just focus on the phenomena itself. So I'm not trying to be disrespectful 
to anybody's beliefs. I'm just saying that, yes, there is very negative energy out there, and there's very positive energy as well. You know, we just uh, are not sure exactly what we are encountering. And if you want to figure out what that is, you have to focus on the phenomenon. Now, are are you involved with doing any kind of self-protection before you go into these places, or do you feel you don't need it? Well, again, not bringing religion into it, um, but I do believe that what has protected me all these years, because I've been to some of the most, you know, I, I guess what most people would say is the most negative places you can imagine. You know, I got to go through the Amityville house as well. And yeah, I want to talk about that. It, yeah. it's, it's a situation where I feel what protects me the most is not bringing, you know, any spiritual belief to it, but being respectful to the property. Mm-hmm. I think that is what's kept me out of danger is I don't go in taunting whatever it is there. Oh, come on, prove it to me that you're here. You know, bite me, scratch me, push me. Come on. Yeah. I don't right. believe you. You know, I think that type of attitude is going to cause more harm to you later uh, throughout life. So it's a situation that's like me walking into your house you're sitting on your chair eating your dinner, and I'm going, I don't believe you're here. You know, I'm yeah. right in your face, you know, <laughs> cussing you out. You're going to be like, what the hell? Who the exactly. hell are you? You know? Right. Yeah. And you'll be like, yeah, I'll get you. I'll probably get you when the cameras aren't on, when they're not looking, you know? Yeah. I think in those types of situ- <laughs> Yeah, I think in those types of situations, I think then, yeah, you're asking for trouble. You're asking for a something, whatever's there, to follow you home if, you know, people believe that. So yeah, I agree I with think, you. I think that that's a bad way to go. Yeah, so for me, it's just go in. I, I let my intentions known out loud. I say I'm just here to offer you a voice if you wish to speak. I'm here to hopefully, you know, tell your story. I just want to – I mean you no harm. And then when I leave, I say thank you for allowing me to be in your space. I hope you took the time to talk. Um, hopefully, I'll be back. And that's as simple as that. That's and a wonderful Throughout all my approach. years of doing this, yeah, I, and that I think is what has you know kept things from at least following me home. So. Good for you. Well, I like that. Well, Ross, we're going to take a very short commercial break, and there's just so much more to talk about with you. We've got to get into the Amityville house. Also, haunted toys, haunted churches. My goodness, I think you've investigated all of them. So stay tuned, everybody. You are listening to Supernatural Girls Radio. We'll be right back. Pure essential oils, specialized minerals, and a revolutionary anti-aging technology. Astridian combines the best of all scientifically proven ingredients in easy-to-use creams, lotions, and concentrated serums. Astridian's advanced line of products take your skin to a new level of being healthy and beautiful. We offer a variety of collections that address all your skin concerns. The Essential Anti-Aging Series treats and moisturizes your skin for a long-lasting, younger look. The Multivitamin Series promotes healthy skin with high-quality vitamins and minerals. The Sports Series restores skin from cellular damage and stress. Astridian also offers a revitalizing solution for hair and a professional series for doctors and medical spas. Visit astridian.love today and begin your new journey to healthy, beautiful, youthful skin. 
Astridian, Beyond Your Expectations. There are a lot of psychics out there. How do you decide which one is right for you? You look for someone who empowers you, who's practical and spiritually connected, who says, here are your opportunities, here are your challenges, and here's a way to deal with them, and then gives you your own toolbox to make your life everything you want it to be. Hi, I'm Corby Mitleid, and that's how I work with you. As a certified professional tarot reader, I've helped thousands of people for over 40 years through my toolbox. Cards, past life retrieval, numerology, spirit guide conferences, and mediumship. Whether it's career, relationships, finances, or your spiritual road, together we can replace your confusion with clarity. And you'll probably find a little laughter along the way. Visit me at CorbyMitlide.com to find out how to cross your bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly. And tell me you found me at Supernatural Girls for a special gift with your reading. Corby Mitlide, the practical psychic for catching your tomorrows today. Find me at CorbyMitlide.com. That's CorbyMitlide.com. Your property tax bill. Have you seen it lately? It's frightening. Your property taxes are going up while your home value is going down. It's time to fight back and win. For the real truth about the property tax system, get attorney Pat Quintilian's book, Are You Getting Screwed on Your Property Taxes? How to Find Out and How to Fix It. Attorney Quintilian answers all your questions and gives you the facts you need to fight a property tax bill that is spiraling out of control. You'll also read about what happens to property owners who don't check their property records, only to find out too late they're taxed on square footage, fixtures, and even buildings that they don't own. Is this happening to you? Learn your rights. Buy Attorney Pat Quintilian's book today. Are you getting screwed on your property taxes? How to find out and how to fix it. Available on Amazon.com. Are you frustrated with endless mantras, affirmations, and processes that promise to align your life with your dreams only to find yourself years later in the same space where you began? Do you feel like you must be doing something wrong because nothing seems to be working? Don't you just wish that someone could shift your consciousness for you and your life could align with your desires without all the effort? Well, your wish is about to come true. Hi, I'm Carrie Cannon, and I have a gift that allows me to align the consciousness of others to be in harmony with their dreams. The best part is, it requires no particular effort on your part. Upon listening to a consciousness alignment, People have reported instant energy shifts, financial windfalls, soulmate connections, healed relationships, physical healings, and more. To gain access to a free trial offer for my entire Manifesting Miracles Library of Consciousness Alignments, go to commandmiracles.com now for details. Again, that's commandmiracles.com for information about our free trial offer. That's commandmiracles.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Supernatural Girls Radio. I'm your host, Patricia Baker, and tonight I am speaking with a ghost hunter extraordinaire. He is a paranormal investigator, and his name is Ross Allison. He has written eight books. I'm going to name some of them, and Ross, you'll fill me in on the other ones. Spooked in Seattle, My Haunted Journal, Tacoma's Haunted History, 
haunted toys, haunted churches, and I'll let you take it from there. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> um, so we got haunted ships and lighthouses as well. What number is that? I'm trying to think. Christology 101 is another one. Uh, I think that I think that's eight, right? Yeah, that's eight. You got it. All right. Wow. All right. Excellent. Now all these books are available, everybody, on Amazon.com. So take a look, and there's got to be something in there. If you're into ghost hunting, there's got to be at least one of those books that you want in your library. So let's talk, Russ, about one of my favorite, if not most horrific stories, is the Amityville House. You got to go there. What happened? To be honest with you, nothing. <gasps> I actually got to walk through the house. It was back when it was up for sale. Uh, they had an open house, and I was one of the few people that uh, just got to walk through the house. Uh, there was nobody else there. The uh, realtor was um, outside doing something in the yard, and I realized I am completely alone in this house. And I, I was following the house for a good, you know, 45 minutes, um, just, just walking around, taking it in. I had my recorder going. Um and nothing. I didn't capture any EVPs or anything. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. How long after the family um, that, you know, this is based on lived there, did, were you in the house? How many years? Oh, this passed? was, uh, gosh, this was when it went up for sale again, maybe about uh, 10 years ago, maybe, I think it was. Mm-hmm. So it's been long after the Lutzes and all that, so. So, it was yeah, a horrible story uh, with those murders that took place. Oh, yeah. No, it, it's definitely an interesting case. Um, but unfortunately, I was still a kid when that all happened. So I, you know, couldn't run out there with my, my ghost hunting equipment, you know, from, <laughs> from the northwest over to the east coast, you know. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, my goodness. Well, at least you got to walk through it, but nobody... Nobody talked? Nobody left an EVP for you? No, no. But then that's, you know, just proof as it's all about being in the right place at the right time. You know, like right. I said, you can go to the most haunted places out there and you may never experience anything. It uh, doesn't mean that it's not haunted. It's just you weren't there at the right time. Right. Now that makes sense. Yes, the energy has to be right or nothing will come through. So, and I right. remember I was an indigenous leader I, I worked with for a period of time and studied with, and that's what she used to say. She says, the energy has to be right. It has to match up for any of those phenomena to take place. So <clears throat> haunted toys, now that's that really creeps me out. Tell me about haunted toys, especially I can't stand dolls because I see energy hanging around them all the time. Did you cover uh-huh. that in haunted toys? Oh, yes, Definitely. Now, the Haunted series is a series I do with David Weatherly. Uh, Haunted Toys was our first book. Then uh, we followed it up with Haunted Ships and Lighthouses. And just now this month uh, came Haunted Churches. And due just before Halloween, we will have Haunted um, Historic Hotels of the West Coast. So it's a fun series that we really like to do. Um, Because for me, I I really feel that a lot of these stories need to be published um, because I started to find as I've been in this field for as long as I have, there's a lot of groups popping up out of the excitement of ghost hunting and seeing the television shows, but they don't last very long. 
Uh, they, I think the average life expectancy of a ghost hunting group is about three years. Um, oh, and good. it's just that's because, you know, it is a lot of tedious work. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot of tedious work, and it, it's not always always exciting that you think it is, you know, when you watch these television shows. A lot of times it can be very boring. And so I started to find that a lot of these, as these groups would go in and investigate a great place and have some great evidence, once their group is gone, the evidence is gone too. The stories are gone. And in most cases, they're gone forever. So these experiences are getting lost. And so I wanted to, to make sure that these stories were getting published because once it's published, it's forever. Right. And, and I don't the want record. these stories and experiences to be, to be erased. And so, you know, when, I, when David approached me and said, you know, he would love to do a book with me because uh, he had read my uh, Spooked in Seattle book and really enjoyed it, I said, I'd be honored to work with you. And so we came, with, came up with the series Haunted. And so Haunted Toys is one of our first books that we put together. And um, we just put together a lot of our own personal experiences and other very famous uh, toys, dolls, uh, haunted places with children involved, uh, haunted games that we put together. And it just uh, was a lot of fun doing that. And so now tell, tell one us of my favorites. Haunted... Okay, go ahead. You've got a favorite. I want to hear it. What is it? Well, I was going to say, I got lots of favorites. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we, could, we could talk for quite a few days here if you want to just tell ghost stories all day. I would love it. Um, <laughs> but um, the story I was going to tell you, to, tell you about um, is one of my personal uh, experiences, and that is Mr. Creepy. Now, uh, he is a ventriloquist doll that I came across. And you can look him up online. Um, Just look up Mr. Creepy. Uh, Spooked in Seattle, you should be able to find him. Uh, We got pictures out there. And his story goes back to the 1960s when he was created by a retired ventriloquist artist. And in his retirement years, now this is a guy who actually goes back to the Bobville days in the Northwest. So in his retirement years, he would make these dolls, and he would perform from time to time. Well, he had made this doll, and he made this doll in his likeness. Mm, Now, he also made a female counterpart in his wife's likeness. What made these dolls extra creepy is they actually used their real hair on these dolls. Oh, my God, that's so creepy. That really is. Yeah. So unfortunately, the couple passed away. Uh, in an accident and so after their passing the dolls were sold as a pair at the estate sale Mm -hmm. now a woman who deals with antiques she actually uh, purchased the dolls and she put them on a shelf behind her register and they sat there for a good long time no issues whatsoever well unfortunately they had sold the building that our shop was in so she ended up having to pack and move to another location So she ended up packing the dolls, um, and she packed them away separately, and she put them into storage. So when she finally got her new location and she started restocking her store, she came across the male figure, but she couldn't find the female figure. But she went ahead and took uh, the male figure, and she put him in a glass case behind the register. Now, right away, she started having weird experiences. She constantly felt like there was somebody standing behind her, watching her, breathing down the back of her neck. 
She said some days she'd even come in and find that his head would be turned or his oh. eyes would be looking in, in another direction. Oh. Now, what's odd about his eyes is his eyes are actually spring-loaded. So when you're playing around with the trigger to move his eyes left or right, once you let go of the trigger, his eyes automatically spring back to the center. So they do not stay left or right unless you're holding on to the trigger. So when she comes into her store and she sees him looking to the left, that is odd. All right? She said one day she came into the store. Yeah, she came into the store one day and found that the glass case was wide open. So after a number of these experiences, she actually had enough and decided to move him to the back of the store, and she put him on a bottom shelf so she didn't have to see him every day. Mm-hmm. Well, when I go into a lot of these antique stores, you know, I was looking for you know pieces for my death museum that I had at one time, and I always ask them, you know, do you have anything that's odd? Because I like to hear their stories. Yeah. And, of course, right when I asked her that question, she immediately told me about Mr. Creepy. Now, this is the name that she had given him. Yeah. So I was like, I love this guy. I would love to give him a home at Spooked in Seattle. So she was so happy to get rid of him that she sold me him for $1. <laughs> oh, boy. What a yeah. bargain. <laughs> so, yeah. So I ended up bringing him to, to our museum, and I had put him in a glass case. And I was alone there one day when I was in the, the office, I heard the thud against glass, and I immediately thought something happened in the gift shop. So I immediately, you know, go out, and I'm starting exploring, and I can't find anything disturbed. And I'm walking around, looking, you know, trying to see what could have made that noise. And as I come around the tables, I'm now looking at the glass case that has all our haunted dolls. And I noticed right away that his head was turned and leaning up against the glass. Oh, my God. And I was just like, holy crap. Yeah. So I immediately take a picture just to prove that this really did happen. Well, to my surprise, when I examined the photo, and I believe the photo is online. You can probably find it out there. But if you look at the reflection in the glass, it actually looks more lifelike than the doll itself. Where the doll has these very cartoonish features, you'll see the reflection of the doll it does not. So it looks yeah. more human? It does. So I think that is the gentleman that actually haunts the doll. And, and Mrs. Creepy was never found? Mrs. Creepy was never found. And I think that's the whole reason why he's so active is because here are these dolls that were created at the same time and had never been separated until just now. And so yeah. I think he is just looking around for her, wondering where she disappeared to. Oh, my so gosh. That makes sense. To, yeah, so I, I've been on a quest to try and find her so we can bring those two souls together. Yeah. She's got to be somewhere. So. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, that would be great if you could reunite them. Oh, my. Well, that's very exciting. And I really admire the way you document everything. I think that's so important for all these stories, but just in general, some of these uh, events that take place, People just kind of lose their minds and they forget about documentation. But you're really, really on that path that saying, I'm going to prove this. And it's so helpful well, to everybody in the paranormal right. field. And, and the one thing that I found, too, is um, in, in writing these stories and researching these locations, is we all know how a lot of these rumors get started. 
and they get exaggerated throughout the years. And then you come to find out, you know, what was maybe just um, a small encounter ends up being this huge, you know, demonic, you know, tragedy that really never happened. Right. And so, you know, it's one of the things that me and David have been true about with these books is, you know, if we find these stories aren't true, um, we'll publish that and say, hey, you guys, you know, I know it's all over the Internet that this happened, but unfortunately it did not happen. But mm-hmm. here is the story. You know, sometimes these stories are rooted to something that did happen. And that's sure. what we try to do is, you know, we try to find the root of these, you know, stories and, and bring some truth to it and, you know, strip down these encounters back to the basics of what really happened. And so that's that, great. you know, I think is very important as well. It is. It absolutely is. Now, what about churches? What did you find when you were looking for church stories? Any favorites? Oh, my gosh. There was so many. Uh, it was a fun project, but it was one of those projects that uh, David likes to, to give me a, um, a little crap about because <laughs> I, it took me a while to get this one out because I found myself when I was, you know, digging around for, you know, a lot of times, you know, when we, when we write these stories, we're, you know, trying to come up with the history of the building itself and then going into the, the ghost stories. So, you know, we do believe that history does play a major part in a lot of these possible hauntings happening in these locations. And when we were, you know, writing these books, it's just like, oh my gosh, you know, sometimes you can just easily fall down the rabbit hole because, you know, one story leads to another story, leads to another story, and then you forget where, you know, what you were there, your intention was in the beginning. So that was uh, one of the cases when I started working on haunted churches because I found so many, you know, amazing aspects that led to other stories. It's just like, oh my gosh. Um, but haunted churches, let's see. Um, I, I do like to talk about some of the places that I've actually had personal experiences. Um, but then, as I said earlier, too, you know, sometimes you find that some of these uh, places, the claims that they claim happened at these locations didn't really happen. Like um, mm-hmm. a prime example is the Workmen Union Church in Missouri. Um, this is a place, uh, it's an abandoned, empty shell of a building now in, in a cemetery. And um, there have been a lot of stories to this place uh, from a mad preacher who basically stabbed a woman that he loved to death. And they say that he had hidden the knife in the floor of the old church. Uh, there's also a story of a bearded lumberjack who wields an axe and will chase off, you know, trespassers if they are on the property late at night. And even one of my favorite stories is of a woman who had hanged herself, or they even say that she may have been lynched. And they say if you drive under one of the trees, you will hear her feet dangling on the top of the car. And I'll be honest with you, those three stories aren't true. You know, it's just, again... What, what the situation is you have here is that uh, Northwest uh, Missouri State University is about 15 minutes away from the cemetery and old church. And so a lot of these college students, you know, when they're bored, they'll, you know, entertain themselves by going to places that they claim to be haunted. And they're known to make up a lot of these stories just to scare their girlfriends <laughs> and so that that is the root to a lot of this is that they'll make up a lot of these stories 
And those stories get passed down and get, you know, and become these grander and grander, you know, encounters that again, never happened. But who's to say that the the church isn't haunted? You know, there have been stories of of encounters there that are from credible witnesses. Um, You know, there's people that claim to have seen a Civil War soldier on horseback riding around through the cemetery. And there are Civil War soldiers buried in the cemetery. So it's, it's very true. Um, you know, so you get a lot of things like that. So, you know, don't always believe these grand, you know, stories that you may hear, but a lot of it is rooted to an actual encounter. Some things do happen there. And Um, you mentioned the Civil War soldiers, if I could just ask you about that. Have you been to the sites where they've had these battles? Because it was a gruesome war. And it was just wondering if you've had any experiences on the the old battlefield because there's been a lot of reports oh, yeah. about things there um in fact um it's kind of a funny story but um my first year of ever i was asked to lecture at a college that was actually in gettysburg so i was really excited you know i finally get to check out gettysburg and i thought oh you know um, I really want to. Now, a lot of times when I do my lectures, I don't have a lot of time. I'll go, I'll fly in uh, to one state, do my lecture, and then I have to fly out the next morning to do my next lecture. So I don't get a, the opportunity to investigate a lot of these, you know, places that I get, you know, invited to. So I actually found myself in Gettysburg for the night. Now, I had a uh, usually when I do my lectures, like I said, I'll do a ghost hunt. And a lot of times my ghost hunts can last until, you know, one o'clock in the morning, depending on, you know, the students in the school. And then what happens is I'll end up having to catch my flight early the next morning. So there are times when I hardly get any sleep before, you know, I'm catching my flight for the next lecture. So this is one of those situations where I was up late investigating on the campus and I had to be up really early in the morning to, you know, catch my next flight. So I decided to, to save some money and not pay for a hotel. It was like one of those situations where I figured, you know, I'm only going to get three hours sleep in the hotel as it is. So I decided I'm going to spend the night in one of the battlefields. Oh, that was brave so, of you. You know, yeah, I had a rental car, so I'm driving around through all the different battlefields and – I found this one that had this nice, you know, parking lot right next to the battlefield. And so I thought, you know, because there's all these stories of people saying at night you'll see or hear the Civil War soldiers, you know, marching around. And I'm like, I yeah. want to experience this. So I'm, I'm, it's about, you know, I think 2 o'clock in the morning or 3 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, I'm just kind of laying in the car trying to get some sleep. And I feel the car move. So I, you know, I, I peek up and I'm looking around, you know, I don't see anybody around. It's like, okay, that was interesting. So I lay back down and sure enough, I feel the car move again. So I and peek up when and I'm you just say looking move, around. Is it like somebody's pushing against it and rocking it? It's or like, a, it's like a, yeah, it's like a jolt. Like somebody had just, you know, bumped up against the car. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's not like shaking, like, you know, somebody's, you know, constantly sitting on the car and shaking it. It's just like this quick little bump up against the car, and the car just right. kind of moves a little bit. So I lay back down, 
and I'm waiting for this to happen again. Now, by this time, I have turned my recorder on because, again, when I go to sleep, you know, in haunted places, I've got my equipment, you know, ready to go. So I've got my recorder going. You know, I got my hand on the camera waiting, you know, for something to happen again. And then all of a sudden I hear this knock, knock, knock on the window. And I turn around, and here's a flashlight in my face. And a cop had pulled up and told me I needed to leave. Oh, darn it. I know. Darn it. So, <laughs> so that was this. my experience in Gettysburg. But uh, we've actually, my team has had the opportunity to go back, and we investigated the orphanage there. Um, we also investigated, um, God, there's, I can't remember the name of the, the house. It's the house where the first woman, or the first civilian was shot and killed. There's a bullet went through the doorway. Um I can't remember her name. I apologize. Uh, it's another well-known haunted location. That's another place we got to investigate in Gettysburg. Um, but um, oh my gosh, Gettysburg is a great place. I will. I would love to go back because uh, even when we went back and did our own personal investigations, we've had encounters. Um, I remember in the orphanage. You know, I had asked, uh, "Can you make a, a noise or a loud noise?" just to verify that you're there. And of course you'd hear that loud bang noise. Um, and that I actually got on video. So I do recall that experience. Um, so there's, you know, some pretty cool um, locations in Gettysburg that I could definitely uh, say, yeah. yes, I've had my own personal experiences. And you've been to Scotland. So you've been to the castles over there. Is there anything that stands out in Scotland to you? Oh, yes. Uh, my first time in Scotland, I had made friends with another paranormal group out there, um, and they invited me to actually um, to investigate with them. They were investigating, I believe it was called Menzies Castle. Men- Menzies Castle, I believe it was called. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> now, I remember this encounter, because this was pretty interesting. Um, we... Me and uh, Mark, who uh, is the leader of the other group, Mark Stocks, um, he actually, me and him had gone into a room, and I remember the door had shut. And so we were like, oh, that's kind of odd. You know, maybe it was a breeze, you know, because you are in these very drafty old castles. Yeah. And so we went to go open the door, and the door would not open. Uh It somehow (laughs) got locked or jammed and we could not get it open we were literally pounding on the door trying to get the other team's attention to help us get out of the room and it took a good half hour for them to try and get that door unlocked and it didn't have a lock on the door it somehow the latch got jammed it was just it was one of those weird experiences but yeah i got locked into Ah. a castle in scotland (laughs) (laughs) And so while you were locked in there, I know you had your recorder going. Did anybody say anything? No. You know? Darn it. I know. You gave them all the opportunity in the world there. You were trapped for a half an hour in that room. But, you know, with with my luck, as we're focused on the door trying to get out, there's probably an apparition standing behind us, pointing (laughs) his finger, laughing at us. Yeah, you're probably right. Oh, that's so funny. Gosh. Well, Scotland's a beautiful country, and they certainly do not have a lack of castles over there. So 
Is there any other uh, country you've been to where you've also visited castles? Oh, my God. We actually did one year. Uh, we did a haunted castle tour where um, me and my team, we actually flew into London. We uh, spent a couple days in London. Um, we actually went to Highgate Cemetery, which is an amazing, it's like the oldest cemetery uh uh, near London, and um, if you love old tombstones, uh, the history, I definitely recommend seeing Highgate Cemetery if you're ever out in that area. Okay. Uh, also, there's east and west part of the cemetery. The east part is usually open. Uh, you do have to pay to get in, but uh, it's easier to get into the east. The west only, which is the oldest part, does tours, and that's the only way you can get into the west side. And so I do say if you are going to go out there, you do have to book your tour ahead of time because mm-hmm. they can uh, fill up fast. Um, so um, so we went and visited Highgate Cemetery. Um, and then um, we took the train out to, um, I forget the name of the town, but it's where Chillingham Castle is. And so that's an adventure, too, because Chillingham Castle is not easy to get to if you're a tourist without a car. <laughs> I remember we okay. were training it. We took the train, took the bus, and we found ourselves uh, abandoned in this little town that uh, we end up having to try and find a cab to take us out to uh, Chillingham Castle. And Chillingham Castle is in the middle of nowhere. I mean, okay. you are surrounded by forests and fields, and it is an amazing place. It really is. It is one of the most documented haunted locations. They do claim to be the most haunted castle in the UK. Uh, it's been on my bucket list for the longest time. So we actually spent uh, the night at Chillingham Castle. And that place, um, they say it's got the bloodiest history. And uh, we did have some interesting experiences. Um, now, one of the things is that we got to do the tour and at the end of the tour, they say, you know, if you're going to venture off around, you know, and do your own little investigation, that's fine. Now it was in the off season. So there was only, I'd say I probably eight people staying in the castle. All right. That's mm-hmm. in, including us. All right. Oh. So, so it was a very small group at this castle. So was, I definitely recommend staying there in the off season. And so they said that the, um, the one of the challenges is uh, you don't want to be out in the woods after midnight. You cannot, you know, handle being out in the woods after midnight. So challenge accepted, you know, we're like, yeah, we're <laughs> oh, going to no. do this. So you went right <laughs> out there. <laughs> So we went right out there. Um, we're out uh, exploring <laughs> in the woods around the castle. And they say, you know, the, there's where all these hanging trees are. Uh, there are stories that you would actually uh, see a couple women walking around in the woods as well. You'll hear them talking. Um, I, I believe you might hear them humming or singing as they're walking around through the woods. And so we're in the woods, and all of a sudden we start to hear women. Now, you know, um, those women that are, there was another group of women staying at the, the castle with us. So they decided to come out and explore the woods as well. So we're like, oh, great. You know, there goes our controlled, you know, environment. We've got, you know, yeah. these other people walking around and they're talking and, 
you know, making a ruckus. So that's going to, you know, ruin any EVPs that we have. So, you know, we try to get away from this possible, but, but this was also a night that it was so dark that you had to have some sort of light to see your way around. It was that dark. So no moon. You know, no moonlight, you know, it was just pitch black. And so I'm kind of looking through the trees and I'm trying to see where those women are so I can kind of get an idea how close they are because we can hear them talking but we cannot see them walking around. And it's like, well, where are their torches? You know, because they call them torches over in the UK, you know, flashlights. And I was like, you know, where are they? You know, I I can't see them walking around. And and then all of a sudden it just stopped. Like you hear these women, you know, talking and walking around and then it just stopped. And I was like, oh my God, I think we just experienced that phenomena that they claim happens in the woods. We experienced it ourselves. You did. Oh my! Because you probably went yeah. back, and the girls weren't uh, the girls were in their rooms or whatever. We they weren't out no, there. No, we yeah, they probably went to their rooms. They didn't. They nobody else was out there. So so that was cool. That is. Now did you get that uh, so, on tape, or yeah. because you thought they were human, you didn't tape them? No, we actually, I believe um, what we captured on audio was very faint. You can kind of hear it, but not. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just didn't, the recording didn't turn out that well. Um, but there was other little things that we experienced, you know, that night as well from, you know, asking the spirit to open the door and the door opened on command. So that was kind of cool. Um, but after chilling ham, because believe me, I got more haunted castles we could talk about. Okay. <laughs> um, so after Chillingham, we ended up uh, driving up to Scotland, and we stayed four nights at Roslyn Castle. Ooh. We had the whole location to ourselves for four oh. nights. It was one of the most amazing experiences. Let alone, you know, it's haunted, but just the experience of staying in something this historic. You know, you got the fire, you know, blazing in the fireplace, and you're just sitting in this room surrounded by all these old, you know, pictures and paintings of the family's history. You know, it's just like, oh, my God. You know, stuff that goes back to the late 1700s. You know, this is just amazing. You know, 1600s, just and just sitting there going through, you know, the ancestry books of the castle and all this stuff. And it was just, what an amazing experience that was. But this place was pretty cool because um, most of the castle itself is in ruins. But mm-hmm. there is this uh, small um, uh, building that they have preserved. Um, <clears throat> and below the building are three layers of dungeon. Oh, my God. So three layers, so like three stories the, of dungeon. Three stories of dungeon uh, below you, as you're staying in this house. That's a little so, uncomfortable. Uh, it was it was amazing, you know. So at any time in the night, we could go down into these different levels of the dungeon and do our own little investigation. So that was pretty cool. Um, and what did you and I come do back with? Well, that place, um, that was actually uh, a pretty quiet place. We didn't have a lot of personal experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that there's the haunted toilet 
so the toilet kept flushing by itself throughout the night. <laughs> oh, my God. And it wasn't something that was timed because, you know, usually when you experience things like that, you, you try to time it just to see if it could be natural phenomena uh, causing it to just flush automatically. So it wasn't like every 15 minutes the toilet flushes. Uh, right. It would happen, right. you know, five minutes and then, you know, another 20 minutes later, then it flushes again, you know. So it wasn't something that you could time. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I do remember we were down in the basement area. We did hear voices when we were alone down there. And a lot of times it's very light, very muffled. Um, so they don't always turn out to be a class A EVP on your recordings. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, a lot of people had feelings. Um, so that was a pretty cool place. And that's actually uh, Roslyn Castle is right next to Roslyn Chapel. Um, so you get to go over and check out the chapel. <clears throat> and the chapel is actually um, very well known. It was actually featured in, um, what was it called, Tom Hanks' movie um, about, uh, oh, gosh, solving these ancient crimes. What was it? Yes, uh, I, Da Vinci right. Code. Yeah, I remember da Vinci that. Code. I can't think of the movie, but yes. All right. Now, yeah. is that the chapel so, that Divin- also has demon figures in it? Oh, yeah. There's lots of... Um, That's the one. Well, not the castle. Are you talking about the chapel? No, I'm talking about the chapel next to it. No, no, no. The cha- Well, yes. The chapel is the one that has all the uh, gargoyles carved into it. Yes. Yeah, it was, okay. uh, like I said, it was featured in the, the Da Vinci Code uh, at the oh, very I end. I remembered it. Okay, um, great. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. So, what was really cool, my first time there... We had the chapel to ourselves, and I was actually down in the crypt area doing an EVP session. So that was an amazing experience alone, just to have this chapel to yourself, and you're alone in the crypt, you know, trying to talk to ghosts. (laughs) Yeah. What a great life you live. This is exciting stuff. uh, so thank you. It's you know it's a passion of mine. I just I love to explore amazing haunted locations. So. Well, you're doing so a great job Castle, reporting back to us, that's for sure. <laughs> well, that's the thing, is I, I do want to publish these stories, these experiences, so that even after my time, other generations can have something to go back to and compare their experiences to other people's experiences. That's yeah, uh, one right. of the main reasons why I write. Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a wonderful so, goal and purpose that you have in exploring these situations and providing us with the real story. And then yeah. any paranormal well, phenomenon that that you capture, I think that's just great. Right. And there's so many. You're winding down the show, unfortunately, but there's so much more we oh, haven't no. even touched on. I know. I've even gone halfway through our eye. trip. I know, we did 90 <laughs> minutes almost already. It's oh well, I mean, like you said, wow. we could talk for days about this stuff. You're a great guest, Ross, and. I just love your stories. I'm going to have to bring you back. I hope you don't mind, but I would love to have oh, you back anytime. on the show. Yeah, and we'll go further anytime. with all of this. We haven't talked about the catacombs, the ancient rock oh, yeah, the catacombs. And we've got oh, so God, much more geez. to cover here. I've been to Japan. I've been to China. Oh, my God. I've been to, you know, Transylvania, followed the life of Lad the Impaler, got to stay at haunted castles there. Oh, I got to hear about Vlad next time you're on. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> Vlad the Impaler. Yes. yes. What a guy. Yep. Oh, my. Well, I want to so. make sure people know how to get a hold of you. If they have a story 
then how do they reach you? How do they tell you about it? Well, definitely I encourage people to follow me on Facebook. Um, I am limited on my – I've reached my max on my friends, but definitely follow me because a lot of times when I go on investigations, I'll do a live feed. So you can actually uh, watch me do a live feed from Facebook. Um, So definitely follow me, especially because we're getting ready to go this weekend to Montana. We're doing a a prison and some brothels out there. So we'll be doing some live feeds from those locations. So definitely uh, look up Ross Allison Ghost Hunter and follow me there. And um, also um, you can check out a ghost uh, at a ghost.org and that's a G H O S T.org. You can see a lot of our stuff and evidence that we've posted on our website. Um, You can also, if you're ever in the Seattle area and would love to, once we are able to open tours back up, uh, check out spookinseattle.com. And uh, you may be lucky enough to be able to take one of my tours or ghost hunts, my public ghost hunts. Uh, So definitely check that out. You can also check out my books on Amazon. Um, Newest one is Haunted Churches. And then, of course, the next one coming out before Halloween is Haunted Historic Hotels of the Pacific Coast. So definitely check out me and David's books and other books that I've written as well. I think that's about it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much, Ross. This has been an absolutely delightful conversation. And you've given me a lot to think about. I know our audience is doing the same thing. So I'll be in touch to have you back. And, again, thank you so much for a wonderful evening of ghost stories. It was great. Thank you. You bet. And now next week, everybody, we'll be back with another terrific show. And I think we're going to be doing energy, energy healing. So let's find out about that next week. Until then, see you on the Blue Highway. Good night. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another radio adventure with Supernatural Girl.